It's Tuesday, November 30th, 2021, and it's The Relevant Podcast here in Orlando. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and joining me from Loverland, Virginia, it's Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. Once again, sitting in for Jamie Ivey is our associate editor from East Texas, downtown Emily Brown. Hey, y'all. She's going to be moving soon and maybe traveling the world and working from Paris in the spring. Mm, no I'm way. Trying. Yeah, mm. yeah. And from Nashville, Tennessee, artist, producer, mogul, Derek Miner. Yeah, what up? Hey, uh, Emily, how can I get on whatever thing you on where you just going to be traveling the world? Remote work, um, man. Yeah, remote work. That's really it. And I asked very nicely if I could travel. <laughs> what, what, what is bringing you uh, to Paris? Why, why is that one of the locations? I just want to go to Paris. Uh, I, I've been to Paris reason? before, but I was only there for like two or three days. Um, so my friend and I were trying to go for a month because um, they also work remote. And um, we're just probably on the weekends going to go travel to other European countries since we're already over there. Um, but you can rent an you can rent an apartment on Airbnb. And it's basically the same month as it would be rent here. And since I'll be traveling for at least a couple months, I don't have any rent to pay. So I'm just going to pay it in Parisian apartments. She, she's uh, she's doing a gap year with her apartment. Her, her lease is up and instead of jumping into a new lease right away, she's gap yearing it and going to take a few months to be remote and travel and all that and then settle down. After I think that's brilliant. amazing. That's brilliant definitely strategy. some Generation Z stuff for sure though. Like, cause oh yeah. M- and millennials, that's it. it's like no. everyone always talks about like traveling to Europe or working and traveling and I finally have the opportunity. So it feels dumb to not do it. Right. Like it just feels silly to not travel. Now, now wait, you said Europe. I was assuming you meant Paris, Texas. You're talking about the Parisian <laughs> city. She meant, Fran- she meant wow, the, new, that is bold. the new Parisian. I have driven through Paris, Texas, not worth stopping and no offense to Paris, Dang, Texas. I'm wow. sorry. Wow. RIP to everybody in Paris, Texas. <laughs> Emily, just, Emily just hit you with Well, listen, I'm canceling my, my trip to Paris, Texas now on that advice. Thank you, Emily. But uh, okay. I see what I see what's happening. The Eiffel Tower with the cowboy hat is fine. Do they have that in Paris, Texas? You've got to be kidding me. Yeah, that's like th- they have a, a miniature Eiffel Tower with like a cowboy hat on it. I'm never going there. <laughs> <laughs> Think never about their identity there. crisis because I would feel like Texans would look down their nose at those snotty Parisians, those those frou frou Parisians, right. and then here I'm living in Paris, Texas, and I'm a cowboy. We got to, you know, there's an identity crisis going on in Paris, Texas. It's a lot going Dude, on. It's a lot. I, I don't, I don't understand all the, all the, you know, the the, the French and I got a lot of French neighbors. Dude, they are cool, man. Like they start dinner parties at like eleven thirty. Like that's when their dinner parties start on a school night. Eleven thirty at night. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, I'm talking. No. That's We're when like dinner's crib. coming out, and they're and they're all you know. I mean, I'm not endorsing the. I'm just telling you from my experience. They're out there smoking cigarettes, drinking red wine at till like four in the morning, just on a work night. It's a whole other lifestyle. They're really tapped into it, and uh, good for you, Emily, to go. You know, kind of see see what see what it's like over there. So, yeah. are you telling me people in Paris? What? I was going to say, you're telling me people in Paris, Texas, that they stay up until 1130 and smoke Marlboros and drink Natty Lights. 
Exactly. Probably. Right. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. As I, as I figured. That's what most people in like small town Texas do. Natty, Natty Ice is the is the fine Marlowe of Paris, Texas. <laughs> it is the equivalent. You can visit yes. Natty Light Vineyards all around Paris, Texas. And it's just a gas station with a big walk-in fridge. That's the thing. <laughs> What did you do today? Well, we went Natty Light tasting around. <laughs> we, ate some, we ate some cowboy killers, drunk some, or smoked some cowboy killers and Marlboro ooh. Reds. Ooh, <laughs> look at, ooh, ooh, look at this. An Ice House 2019 tall boy. Oh, why, yeah, I'd like to. What is this parallel with? Oh, uh, beef jerky? Well, let's do it. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> well, we have a great show in store for you today. Coming up later, we talk to Dave Kinneman. Dave Kinneman is the president of research organization Barna Group which is very different than the research organization that George Barna currently runs. Anyway, uh, Kinnaman is the author of like Unchristian, You Lost Me. If you uh, care about the intersection of faith and culture and the future of the church, uh, Dave is bringing some amazing content. And we talked to him about the growing epidemic that's happening right now of pastor burnout Mm. and kind of what we can do about it as uh, congregations. Um, So stay tuned for that. It's a great conversation with Dave. We love Dave. Um, He's a, long-suffering Phoenix Suns fan. And oh, that's man, one I'm of sorry. our that's good. bonds over the last decade. And so I'm happy for him that they are crushing the league right now. And we'll probably get a good new owner in the mix. So, all right. Uh, okay. We also have at the end of the show, what's Jesse thinking? You don't want to miss it. Well, before we toss to slices, I uh, want to remind you that our annual print edition of Relevant is available for sale right now. It's available for, for pre-order for a limited time. You can save 20% right now. Also, we have a lot of great merch, Relevant podcast, fan stuff, uh, some awesome designs, some great things. And we're adding new things to RelevantStore.com every week. So check it out. And there's some sales going on, some holiday deals. Make sure to go check out RelevantStore.com. Okay. Stay tuned. Up next, it's Slices. You're listening to Emmy Melly. The song is I Am Woman. Well, today's show is brought to you by BetterHelp. Uh, it's 2021, which means it's okay to talk about our mental health and happiness. Humans aren't meant to keep everything inside. It makes us sick. And that's why therapy helps. Well, what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you need it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help, or you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work or stressful holiday things. Whatever you need, don't be ashamed of normal human struggles because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what therapy is really about and right now, Relevant Podcast listeners can get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Relevant. That's BetterHelp.com slash Relevant. Save 10% off your first month. Okay, it's time for Slices. What do you have, Jesse? So you guys are probably, you can all remember the the whole scuttlebutt that, that transpired probably about a decade, at least a decade ago, 
when Rob Bell, who at the time was a pastor of another church called Mars Hill, uh, and also was you know a pretty well-known Christian author and uh, hosted NUMA Bible study videos and was sort of looked at. Obviously, he was a, a pastor, but he was more of like a Bible teacher. He was someone mm-hmm. who took a very scholarly approach to mm-hmm. uh, his messages and, and really kind of did a lot of uh, historical context when kind of unpacking the teachings of Christ and uh, even sort of how the Old Testament really framed those teachings for us to kind of understand for modern audiences. Well, uh, you know, fast forward a couple of years, he released a book called Love Wins, which, um, y- you know, uh, essentially asks big questions about conventional understandings of the afterlife, particularly about hell. Now, uh, he was accused of being, you know, a quote unquote universalist, even though if you read the book, it didn't really draw hard conclusions. It just he kind asked, of asked, he asked a, questions that Christians said were out of bounds. He yeah. didn't answer them. That was yeah. that was the problem is that he left them open ended. Yeah, a lot of open ended questions. Um, and, and it had real um, uh, there was real consequences for him, his family and his career. Now, uh, obviously, he's he's discussed this at length. This is kind of old news, but I that's part of the, that story. I found very interesting in light of a new Pew Research Center survey survey that just came out that gauged contemporary feelings among a lot of different uh, groups, but particularly different branches of modern Christianity, including evangelicals, hmm. about what they think about heaven, hell, and and who's going where, and the reality of kind of uh, eternal destinations for the soul um remember it wasn't that long ago where just having a prominent pastor who time magazine at the time said was the next billy graham just having him ask these questions was enough for him to essentially become a pariah in modern evangelicalism uh according to the results of this study um inclusivism which is uh which is not exactly the same as universalism inclusivism means that people of other faiths can make it to heaven not ne- where universalism is everyone makes it to heaven so there's some caveats with so, inclusivism, so inclusivism but the main like thing the, the jews and muslims actually serve the same god as the god of the bible so Potentially, yeah. or there's other criteria to make it to heaven than just if you have the right Got theology, it. right? So, some, so someone, if they meet these other moral or ethical criteria by God, even if they don't maintain the, the same theology as like a, 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 you know, Orthodox Christian could still make it right. to heaven, mm-hmm. right? Where universalism would be everyone gets there. But inclusivism, you know, wasn't that far detached from what Rob Bell was kind of uh, asking questions about. Now, it, it, according to the study, a quarter of of evangelicals now support inclusivism and a majority of mainline protestants and catholics do as well um feelings about uh uh even the existence of hell um are you know right now um the study looked at um you know beliefs in heaven and hell uh, a lot more people including uh you know kind of christians and uh, of different uh, uh denominations believe in heaven then believe in hell um, but the interesting thing is that this idea of inclusivism um, is really is really kind of making some headway. This is from uh, an analysis of the report that uh, CT did. It says that Protestants are, are more than twice as likely as Catholics to say their faith is the one true faith leading to eternal life in heaven, 38% versus 16%, with half of uh, evangelicals expressing this view. On the other hand, 40% of, 44% of evangelical Protestants say that many religions can lead to eternal life in mm-hmm. heaven, though they are, though this is a good, 
interesting caveat, though they are split on whether this reward is granted to only members of other branches of Christianity, which is about 20%, or if followers of some non-Christian religions can go to heaven as well, that's 23%, so about a quarter. Um, That's a pretty remarkable, uh, you know, kind of shift in the conversation than even just a couple of years ago, you know, that that a, a survey like this can kind of be put out into the world. And it not cause some sort of like theological panic, um, but is more or less kind of seen as a genuine barometer of where people are kind of uh, the discussions that are, are currently happening. I'm really curious, uh, among young you know, believers. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one get to the Father except through me. And 23% of his followers of, of Christians would say other religions can get to heaven too. But Jesus said yeah. he's the one way. And that's interesting that. Yeah, twenty three percent. That's a lot of people. A quarter mm-hmm. of the global followers yeah. of Jesus say, "Yeah, that's interesting." <laughs> the other thing that I think about about inclusivism is Zion Christian Zionism. Think about this: like evangel, there's a massive y'all know massive conservative evangelical movement supporting Israel. You know, because the Bible says, uh, "Those who bless Israel, I will bless." Right. So that's the source of Zionism. My thing, my question I've always had, because my my family is very connected to the Zionism movement, and 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 then we talked about John Hagee last week, and it's big in that world. I've always wondered about the Great Commission. If they believe that a good Jew is going to heaven or not, because if they believe that Jesus is the only way mm-hmm. and they're supporting their Jewish brothers and sisters, then they are actually enabling if they believe that they're enabling their Jewish brothers and sisters to go to hell if they don't try to proselytize and convert them to Christianity. But Zionism doesn't proselytize. Zionism is just supporting the Jewish people because the Bible says to. But if you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, why aren't you trying to convert them to your belief system? I don't understand the Christian Zionism thing where we support Israel, but we don't try to convert them to Christianity. I don't get it. I don't get it. But inclusivism would say, well, good Jews will go to heaven too. So... Yeah, and, <laughs> but you well, don't put. And, and I it's, think it's a weird thing. To, I, I I think there's a pretty big gap in in Christian teaching, and and this is something I think that this survey kind of illustrates, <clears throat> but also kind of Rob Bell kind of illustrates in in his book is that you know if you believe sort of in what I would you know kind of classify, and and I remember talking with a bunch of you guys when we were in Wyoming about this, but like. You know, sort of the conventional understanding of orthodox theology is that it, you you have a deadline up until your last heartbeat to make some sort of spiritual decision, and that is sort of your last opportunity to make a a decision about what you believe that will determine your eternal resting place. I think you know I've heard more and more conversations, and again, I'm not a theologian, but just kind of asking about how far the measure of God's grace extends. Like, what is? what are these judgment seats that we read about in Revelation? What's the point of those if we already have grace? Like, what is the point of, of every knee bowing if, if, half are, if, if many are condemned? I just feel like the conversations around this really complex idea and these really central ideas to Christianity, those conversations have been so narrow in their scope that because they're not, because a lot of pastors and theologians are afraid to engage with them, in my opinion, because they've seen what happened to someone like Rob Bell when they just start kind of thoughtfully engaging with 
the, the, the different kind of theological implications that church leaders have been wrestling with for generations. You know, they don't want to be pariahs. Um, but then you get a survey like this to say, look, there's a lot of questions here, man. Somebody should be, somebody should be answering them or at least be willing to engage with them because there's a lot of confusion about what people actually believe, you know? Yeah. I think this, I think where we're at with this is there's a big problem in Christianity. Uh, Especially, I guess, our Western version. I don't know much about what's happening in the East, but I can only speak to what's happening here. But I think one of the big issues is that you can't ask questions. Mm. Like, you literally cannot say, hey, guys, I don't know if this makes any sense. Right. And I I mean, I'm wondering with the Christianity that we follow today, line up with what, you know, Jesus and the disciples and what would how far away from that do we look like right mm-hmm. i think that's the first question and then the next question is okay well how do we get to that and i think because you can't ask questions like what is you know is there a hell is there a heaven maybe we might have interpreted something wrong when it comes to is this issue or that issue like because you can't answer those questions you can never you can't even ask them you can never get to a real firm understanding of what you believe and when you look at a lot of christians today the only thing they believe is what's being regurgitated in memes mm-hmm. and a lot of times it feels like like that's mm-hmm. why it's so easy for someone to have such a crazy wild racist evil perspective on humanity but at the same time say that you love jesus with all your heart the only way you can get there is because no one has ever asked the questions like, is this wrong? And to actually dive into the deep things that are taboo. That's the reason why kids are struggling with sexual identity, because we can't ask the hard questions. That's the reason that you're looking at a lot of people, pastors getting burnt out that, you know, it's because they they are tied. If they were to give you an honest question, uh, honest answer to where they're at, you may literally destroy them. I've seen pastors come out with real things and say, hey, you know, I'm struggling with this. And then their livelihood is over. They lose it's, it. It's, yep. it's done. Dude, I was, done. Talking to, you know I I mean? was talking to a pastor the other day, a friend of mine who who been through hell and and lost lost his ministry position and stuff. And I, I we talked about the fact, you know, the kind of what led up to that, that that fall essentially. And it it was something that like there was trauma and abuse in his past that was unhealed and unresolved because he couldn't talk to anybody about it. And so he was living this double life and felt trapped. And it's like, who do you talk to? The elders that remove you, your family. But I mean, like you'll lose your livelihood. You want to support your family. So you just keep it to yourself. And all of a sudden, like you're dying on the inside. And it's like so many pastors are trapped like that. This industry of ministry that we've created. And those guys and and women are are, are struggling like anybody else struggles. And we hold them to expectations that are unrealistic sometimes, you know. We hold them to expectations that we don't even live up to. Right. Right, like, 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 let's let's be honest. Like, when you look at the number of, uh, I mean, it says I, I saw a stat that said pornography by far is the most looked up thing on um on the internet. Now, a pastor could literally lose his position if he m- made a mistake, looked at some porn, had a porn addiction. He'd lose his whole thing, not mm-hmm. because 
he's doing something worse than everyone else. It's that he's struggling just like everyone else. But imagine the power if that pastor was able to say, hey, I need accountability in this area with my people. Like I, I need someone to help love me through this process. Like think about the stress that it is that, that a person has to carry on their shoulders, that they have to be more more than human for the people in their congregation. Like mm. no one can live up to that. That's why we have Jesus in the first place. We're our pastors are our brothers. Like we're our, our brothers and sisters. Like, like we're, we're in a time where Christianity is going to have to get down to the nitty gritty and stop expecting people to be superheroes and stop expecting them to be more than human and, and find the beauty in the struggle with one another, like bearing one another burdens. We're going to have to get to that. If we don't get to that, man, like. What's the point? Hmm. You know, that's my opinion. And you you look at, you know, how many, you know, beyond even the moral, you know, kind of issues facing a lot of people in in leadership and and the lack of resources to kind of help in those moral struggles. The intellectual ones as well. Like this, like this survey question aspects of their Mm -hmm. faith. Who do they talk to? (laughs) Yeah. Like, let's let's take an issue beyond just what's in the survey, like inerrancy. If a pastor does a deep dive and learn some of like the not so great side of like the council of Nicaea, right. where it was basically what was determined, what was the inerrant canon of scripture and what we should just disregard, even though in some cases Jesus himself referenced right. these old teachings. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm thinking like the book of Enoch mm-hmm. or something, mm-hmm. right? Like then you read about, you know, some of the people involved with the council of Nicaea and sort of the, the politics of the mm-hmm. time. And it's like, wait, 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 the whole foundation of the thing I believe could be under question here and I don't have anyone to talk to about it because if I do, I could lose my well, paycheck. You, just have to d- you know what I mean? D- like, Jesse, you have to dismiss all those questions and say that the Holy Spirit guided all those decisions. Done deal. Don't ask any more questions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, and, and that it, it's just like, uh, th- th- that's why I like surveys like this because I feel like the anonymity of them gives people the ability to be like, you know what? I do wonder. Mm-hmm. I do. I, I do wonder how many they do conservative evangelical pastors yeah. who have really spent time with scripture would be among the 23% that would say, maybe there are other religions yeah. that are going to end up in heaven and we don't mm-hmm. know. You know, I don't know. I'm not advocating for yeah. that at all. Yeah. I, you know, I'm just saying like, look, yell at your mama. Don't, don't argue with me. Argue with your mama. Cause the truth is most of these if a Christian leader is smart and you probably and you look at this person, you say, wow, he has a great understanding of the text. I can guarantee you there are some things in that Bible that that person's wrestling with. You have no mm. clue. And you'd be shocked. Absolutely. Yeah. I could guarantee you that most scholars have some struggles and there's things in the scriptures that they are wrestling with because we're far removed from the culture. It's also been translated in multiple languages and it's everything is not as black and white as we like to make it in today's version of Christianity. It's mm-hmm. just a fact. I was saying, I feel like it's, there's also really not a space for pastors that are struggling with like those deep theological questions. There's, or there's not really a way for them to say like, I don't know. So like if I were to go mm-hmm. to my pastor and ask a deep question, like I love him and I trust him. I also know he would probably try to come up with an answer on the spot. And that's, you know, that's nothing wrong with that. I appreciate him trying, but it's like, I would rather just be told, I don't know the answer to that. And then, you know, we just don't, but I feel like so many pastors, there's a lot of pressure, no matter how, like how old they are. I have friends that are, you know, 26 and they're associate pastors of churches. There are people that are, are twice their age coming up to them, asking these deep questions and they feel like they have to prove that they have earned this position. So they have to come up with these answers. And it's like, we should be able to say, I don't like the Bible's big and has, a, I have a lot of questions too. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I just feel like and there's not a space for that. The Bible is a unique book in the sense that you can kind of like make completely opposite theological points with, with mm-hmm. scripture. I mean, you can literally yeah. say the Bible says this and this is true. And then it completely contradicts itself in this other context. And it's like, or seemingly does. And it's like people can pick it apart and whatever. And no, you know, my thing is like, I hold it, hold it with an open hand. I mean, there's certain things that we need to like believe and stand for and stand on the truth. But then there's a lot of stuff that's like, you know what we know in part and we see in part and we aren't going to have the full answer until we're on the other side of this world one day, you know? So, all right. What do you have, Emily? Um, I am definitely switching gears here. Uh, I would like to start off by saying I am sorry to the Georgia Institute of technology because I'm about to roast them. They have technology in Georgia. Right. Well, I don't know because um, <laughs> there, a lot of people in Atlanta. Emily, you said you fit a Brady heat. Ah, oh so, gosh! Okay. Here's the thing: the Georgia Institute of Technology. The Georgia Institute of Technology is a barn outside of Macon. They just have it, a. It might know. be because you know I've heard good things about it, but they came up with a new research study, and I just don't know why they felt like we needed to answer this question. But a team of researchers tried to discover if in the Marvel universe, Thanos at the end of Avengers affinity war snapped and then half the universe population disappeared. They tried Spoiler to determine. Alert. Okay. It's been out. If you haven't seen uh, the movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. Haven't seen the movie. That's your fault. That's I didn't know. We three years removed. He was bro. Dead all it's along. Over with. He was oh dead the whole time. Um, they tried to figure out if the snap was possible or not. The answer is no. I just don't understand why we had to spend so much time and research on this. Um, because at no part have I ever watched a Marvel movie and thought, I wonder if this is based on real life. <laughs> and I just don't understand why these researchers spent all this time and money on this. And then also the reason they came up with why it's not possible is the lamest reason. It's not because infinity Which stones is. don't exist. It's not because alien race wars or like wars are not happening. It's because it defied the laws of physics when he snapped. It wasn't his friction wasn't strong enough. That was the reason. That's the one thing holding us back from the half the universe population being held back. <laughs> My man was trying to snap with the glove and wasn't going. <laughs> it is a gold glove. I mean, I mean they slide right off. But, but that's why it's not possible. That's the one reason why it's not possible. Right. I don't believe that. I, I, I will say that though, Emily, I will. The only thing I'll take issue with is there are some things in the Marvel universe, and I know we don't have <laughs> Tyler on, but our good friend of the pod, we haven't talked to him in a while, but uh, um, uh, Mike McHarg um, was an advisor on a couple of the uh, Disney Plus Marvel original series. He was a science advisor on those. And so if you watch like WandaVision or Loki, to me, it's particularly Loki in their explanation of of how time works and what what the implications to reality would be if you were to travel back in time i felt like the way that they presented that visually in that show was the most uh kind of thoughtful presentation of the physics of time and now we know why they had actual science advisors on the show but just to start with the snap which you know doesn't exist in nature yeah. like it has uh, three infinity stones six magical are, or five magical stones in it that's or six i'm sorry six, six yeah. magical stones that might be the reason why we're yeah. not going to lose half <laughs> of the whole world because yeah, it's made yeah. of six magical stones by a dwarf 
Yeah. And like in the research. <laughs> I have no though, idea what you're talking about. Literally dwarves and magic Cameron. stones. I'm literally like, this is why I don't watch Marvel movies. Anyway. Well, you should watch them. Really like, hey, but, 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 but look, Lo- but like I said, Loki and the time travel thing. That yeah. one, you could tell real science people uh-huh. were involved. Because, time, I'll let you have. You know, because time is, it's like, is it's a relative. thing. But time is relative. I just, the fact that they were, that someone thought, I wonder if I snap the universe will like dis- like obviously no just so, that is so an you're obvious advocating no. that the, the georgia institute of technology should have wasted spent their time its, its money and time on <laughs> more pressing global questions yes than- the, the, the problem is the problem is science has already solved everything we we, we don't have any big problems right now. <laughs> well you know we you know so i'm you know, glad maybe the georgia institute of technology can solve our supply chain pandemics. port issues and they can help with the logistics plan to uh you know, no, actually they have the to figure out. Nah, bro, that, we gotta find out about this dwarf glove that I do need to read this one quote from the research. This guy said it's probably the Hollywood special effects rather than actual physics at play. And the fact that they use the word probably Hollywood special effects makes me very concerned for who's yeah. doing research at the That's Georgia Institute of Technology. Fam, dude is it's a nine foot tall purple dude with a cheese grater chin <laughs> that's walking around terrorizing the world. That's the reason reason why this is not real life y'all no it's georgia institute (laughs) i feel like georgia just found out about physics and maybe that's why they're focusing on it get her done that's what that much is called that's 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 their motto actually the the school slogan the school slogan is g-e-t-g-i-t all right what do you have Derek? hey man so look i was gonna keep it real one of my favorite actors is my man Keanu Reeves. And it's because, yes, and I'm going to tell you why he's my favorite, one of my favorite actors. It's because he's an actual cool dude off camera. Like when I say favorite, not like the greatest actor, right? Sure. But I'm like favorite. Like I just, I, and I just love every time I see a post about Keanu Reeves, it's somebody doing, it's him doing something good. Like I heard it was, uh, I think it was Sandra Bullock when they were doing Speed, they were talking about, you know, wine and truffles or something of, of the sort. And Sandra Bullock had never had wine and truffles. So she bought, when she bought her new house, Keanu pulls up on his motorcycle and bring her wine and truffles. So smooth. Just out the kindness of his heart. He's such a great person. You know what mm. I mean? So that's how know, I feel about the, Bill Murray. Anytime I hear a Bill Murray yes. story, like he's showing up and just hanging out at a wedding reception, giving everybody memories, and then he moves. Yeah, up, you know, like, like Andre yeah. three thousand playing the the flute at yeah, the you know at the airport. Clip. Just a good person, man. Just that's you know, crazy. just yeah. emitting great vibes. So with the resurgence hey, did you hear of his, the Andre track on the new Donda. It's amazing. Life of the party is crazy. I wish they it's wouldn't have bleeped the, out the cuss words, but it was really good though. <laughs> Hey, Kanye said D-A- the D-A-M-N. I yeah, was like, man, it's, man, you know how I go, bro. Us artists. Don't don't try to ask. But we talk about Keanu Reeves right now. Let me back yeah, to yeah, my sorry, sorry. love mother, okay, Keanu yeah, Reeves. Yeah. All right, look. So look, Keanu Reeves, just not only that, but he also is like, he crazy with that pistol. Like the John Wick show, he crazy yeah. with that pistol. I saw him in real life. I'm like, man. Zombie apocalypse, go get me Keanu Reeves. He needs to do a zombie movie, by the way. All right. Now, anyway, there's new people that's hopping on the Keanu Reeves bandwagon that I've already been on. And he said, yo, if you want to know my personality, like you want to get to know who I am, I have three movies out of 68 that you need to watch. What's the movie number one? Anybody got a question? Any guess? Bill and Ted. 
I, I got to set this one out because I, I saw this. Not yeah. Bill and Ted. It's unexpected. It's some things that you wouldn't expect. There's no John would, Wick on yeah. there. Really? There's no Constantine. There's no There's no uh, Johnny Mnemonic. We're going Matrix. Okay. We're going The Devil's Advocate. And we're going Point Break. Devil's Advocate, was that with the Al Pacino? Yes, that was an yeah. amazing movie. But the Point Break, it, okay, that makes sense. The Point Break, point break yeah, sure. you know what I'm saying? So, and then The Matrix, obviously the trilogy. I kind of was hoping Speed would have been in there. Speed was one of my favorite Speed. shows. I don't even lie, it was one of my favorite movies. Speed was our introduction to yeah, Keanu. Man. Like, everyone saw Speed was like, that guy's yeah, cool. absolutely. Like, the Keanu Reeves in Speed, and you can say the same thing about Point Break, yep. created the whole like Paul Walker character. Yeah. Like Paul yep. Walker had a whole career because Keanu Reeves played this guy in speed. Man. Like that's basically, you know, he yeah. created this archetype of like, you know, kind of cool, cool bro surfer yeah. dude yep. who happens to be in law enforcement. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that, that, that created that whole kind of vibe is point break and speed. You know, I, I don't that's know how fact. he doesn't have speed on. And that. you know what? The difference between speed and speed to cruise control the difference is no Keanu Reeves. And, uh, and oh, but they did a speed without Keanu Reeves. That's how look, you know. I, I speed two, I was, I was. Cruise Control, 1997. Who, who, who is in that? Uh, Keanu Reeves was offered $12 million to reprise his role as Jack Tra- Traven, but he turned it down because he didn't like the script. And he said well, he was financially secure enough from the success of Speed that he didn't need to take it for the money. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. Who is in Speed 2? It's Sandra uh, Bullock and a bunch of anonymous hitchmen. But uh-huh. I will say this, Cameron, you misstated that the only difference is Keanu Reeves. The other difference is the original speed is based on the premise that if a city bus in uh-huh. urban downtown L.A. drops below 50 miles an hour, right. uh, then everyone will die. Right. The second speed is based on a cruise ship slowly going 30 knots in open water with no obstacles in sight in any of the cardinal directions. <laughs> a lot less thrilling of a premise when you're just kind of bobbing around They're just out having there. a lovely time. A cru- They're just having it's a like, lovely this, time. This, this boat won't break 40 knots or everyone dies. And I'm like, well, we're in the middle of the ocean. It will and literally take us days to get anywhere. Chocolate Fountain Buffet is now open. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the Chocolate Fountain Buffet. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Well, that, so, Counter Reeves. So, the three movies that people need to catch up and fall in love with him. Matrix. Yeah. Uh, Devil's, Devil's Advocate. Advocate. Point Break. Point Break. All right. And I'm going to throw speed in there. I'm throwing you speed guys, in there. You guys, you know, yeah, throw speed in there for Derek. Uh, you know, everybody's looking for some family-friendly films to watch during the holiday season. You know, if you don't want to watch the Hallmark Channel, you can put on some counter reefs. There you go. All right, that'll do it for Slices. Stay tuned. Dave Kinnaman joins us next. listening to snail mail the song is glory hey y'all i'm kiki palmer i'm an actress a singer an entrepreneur and a virgo i'm <laughs> just the name of you i'm proud to introduce you to the baby this is kiki palmer podcast exclusively on amazon music i'm putting my friends family and some of the dopest experts in the hot seat to ask them the questions that have been burning in my mind what happened to sitcoms it's only fans only that i want to know so i asked my mom about it on baby this is kiki palmer no topic is off limits Listen to Baby This is Kiki Palmer 
exclusively on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app now. Where our guest today is my longtime friend, David Kinneman. He's the president of the faith-focused research organization, Barna Group, and the author of books like Unchristian, You Lost Me, and Faith for Exiles. He spoke with our very own senior editor, Tyler Huckabee, to tell us about Barna's latest study on the growing epidemic of pastor burnout and how we can help encourage the pastors in our churches during difficult seasons. Here's our conversation with David Kinneman. like you're expressing something with this study uh, about pastors. Maybe just to start out with, just so everybody who's listening and reading this is on the same page, would you mind giving us sort of the broad strokes of what you found about pastoral resignation and the feelings coming coming out of 2021 here? Yeah, well, since the pandemic began, and in in many ways before the pandemic, we've been tracking pastors' well-being. It's a great privilege for Barna to be uh, the voice of pastors in, in some way through the research. We're able to amplify the concerns and issues and challenges that pastors across the United States, and in some cases in other contexts, uh, but especially the United States, are feeling. And um, so before the pandemic, we already knew there were questions of, of burnout and challenges. You're in the people business if you're a pastor, and uh, it's ministry is great except for working with people. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I think there's this real sense then as the pandemic began that there were, you know, a a whole new set of rules for virtually every industry, uh, but especially in those industries that are gathering people, concerts, live events, theater, live theater, um, cinema, um, obviously even even restaurants and other kinds of of public venues, theme parks. Uh, But pastors and churches were especially, you know, hard hit um, digital ministry huge changes and innovations happening across the the whole world in that. And so then we knew that there was lots of pressures and exhaustion setting in for pastors. Um, But we, we decided to track this idea of, you know, to what extent are pastors quitting, desiring to quit or thinking and considering quitting. And in January of 2021, we asked them, you know, have you given real serious consideration to quitting full-time ministry? And uh, we found that 29%, three out of every 10 senior pastors in America said they had, had done so. You know, there's, I think, sort of a, a mixed bag there. I think there is some good news in, in the sense that, um, you know, pastors who maybe are ready to do something new should, should give serious consideration mm-hmm. to quitting. Uh, but the, the, the bigger and more important story is that um, this has been a hellacious year and a half. Uh, the pandemic, digital ministry, po- politics, race, um, masks, vaccination, on and on and on, social media, uh, n- numbers, great numbers of people dropped out of church and didn't come back. Uh, most churches are running 30% to 50% of their usual, uh, you know, sort of numbers, um, just recognizing just how hellacious this year has been on pastors. And it's it's the, the wear and tear is starting to show. It's reaching r- really what we might think of as crisis levels. It 
in the interviews that, that I do on COVID, I found that it's the same thing, but it's affected us all in such unique, specific ways, depending on where we're at and what our job is. What are some of the reasons that you found, like what's driving this this feeling in, among pastors? What are the, it's obviously COVID, I would assume it's obviously a lot of it is COVID related, but how does that play out for them? I think COVID was the precipitating factor. We can see in the research these perceptions of exhaustion, of uh, not being able to find their footing, of not being able to measure success uh, in the ways that they have in the past. You know, like like you'd look for numbers, you look for a church attendance, whatever the the factors might be, and recognizing that there's just a, a whole different set of you know rules, regulations, expectations, thoughts, ideas. You know as to what should be, and um, um, I just think it's it's you know, again, for almost every kind of leader who's running an organization, who's running uh, some kind of, of ministry, nonprofit, for-profit, we've all faced a lot of change. But pastors especially um, have faced a lot. And, and part of it then is is this uh, crucible of ministry in the social media era. era. Yeah. And, you know, the, the expressions of opinions and thoughts and ideas and what's right, what's wrong. What's, you know, like a pastor told me this weekend that, you know, he's had many congregants come and ask him for, you know, a waiver, uh, to, to, for, for the, for, for vaccine, for a religious exemption to the vaccine. And it's like, he's like, I, I don't even have a, a category to put that in, like <laughs> a religious exemption. So I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of factors. And it, again, many of these things were pre- precipitating or, or uh, proceeding, I should say, um, COVID, but COVID really put a lot of, you know, sort of gasoline on the fire. There's been a general across the U.S., the great resignation, they're calling it, of more people are just leaving their jobs in general. Do you have any idea if this rise in pastors want to leave their jobs, how closely that matches that? Is it Does that outpace that or is it lower? Any ideas? I don't have a sense of, of its, you know, how it paces in, in the horse race compared to other U.S. adults. And just as a general policy, we don't like comment on other research. So it's just, it's just easier to sort of say, you know, it is what it is that two out of five pastors, that's a pretty high number and it's been growing. And, and I think COVID asks all of us, like, what do we really want out of life and how should we, how should we find that life? And then is the, is the work that we're doing among, among those of us who are, you know, working sort of full-time or part-time jobs, like, is, is this what we want? You know, and I think um, it's taken a lot of us to some of those deep, more existential questions. What's fascinating is the social research sort of turning beyond just pastors, but out to the general public. I don't see a lot of evidence in our research that people are asking, even as they're changing jobs and rethinking things, I don't see a lot of evidence that they're actually, you know, that they're actually facing the kind of sort of these deep spiritual existential questions in the same way that you might think they could or should. And so even though I think there's an incredible opportunity and I, I don't think it's like no one is thinking about those things, there there does seem to be, maybe because fi- financial impact of the pandemic was far less significant than most of us expect or most people expected, most of the most of the experts. Um, it's like life was disrupted in a, in a, in a massive and, and profound way. But, but, you know, for most of us, like we, we kept food on the table and, you know, there wasn't, Again, this is not true of every American, but for for most Americans and for most businesses, like they like they've actually powered through and all of it. But I just think there's this this real open question as like, 
I, th- I think there's a mental and emotional health crisis that is that is here and is looming. I think the, the crisis of loneliness. I think this pastoral crisis, leading leaders like who will be the leaders of the future church. Um, those are looming, looming crises, and here. Um, but I also feel like there's this potential for the other shoe to drop with with you know people's spiritual openness. And um, again, I think there's some good signs. People are more open to pray, praying and other things. But just this question of like, what will this all mean in the, in the, in the grand scheme and the, in the great analysis about what people's yeah. sort of, what, how it affected their spiritual lives and their congregational rootedness and, you know, their desire to be rooted in scripture and other things. Is there any sense from the pastors that you talk to what people in the lay can do to help them, the ones who are feeling run down? Yeah, I think the research is a little, a little, we don't have direct data on that. And so again, my principle is not to talk, talk too much about things we don't have data on, but just as a, as a, a believer and as a Christian who's been involved in my local church for, you know, for long as I can remember my dad was a pastor, I think first encourage your pastor, uh, remind him or her that you're praying for them um you know if there's an opportunity to give them uh, a meaningful gift uh of, of some type um you know uh, a weekend away or some free sports tickets or some something that might really bless them i think you should do it i think a handwritten note of encouragement would be would be awesome as important as all that is just try to keep your opinions to yourself <laughs> at this time at this time i think uh leaders need just the, the notion that you know maybe our opinions about what's right what's wrong what's whether you're you know pro, pro mask you know not not mask vaccination right or left you know what to do this christmas for to make your christmas so special like just maybe let's let's all try to d- dial it down and find a way of just engaging in a, in a type of of purity of you know abiding in christ and recognizing that we don't actually look to our leaders for for, for feeling joyful or for being you know of sober mind we looked we look to christ himself for that we looked at we look to jesus we looked to the holy spirit for the peace that passes understanding and um you know there's real spiritual work for us to do to repent of places where we've expected pastors to carry the load for us uh and and then and then finally like how can we turn to our brothers and sisters in christ who aren't vocational ministry leaders for the kind of community and and interdependence that the body of Christ represents, and uh, I think we have we have we've you know in some ways kind of professionalized ministry, and and it's a real moment for us to sort of not just reach up to our leaders, but to reach um, you know sideways to those uh, those we've been either in the pews with or watching digitally with, but you know our fellow believers. Like we need relationships more than ever, and the church needs our opinions less than ever, at least at least for now. was David Kinnaman. You can read more of our interview with him over at relevantmagazine.com. All right, stay tuned up next. It's What's Jesse Thinking? Take what you want You're 
listening to Christian Leave. Song is Days Like Lost Dogs. Okay, it's time for... What's Jesse thinking? Huh? What are you thinking about this week, Jesse? All right, so I was thinking about something that was sparked by news coming out of Netflix, that they are greenlighting a new 10-episode series about uh, uh, life in the last blockbuster uh, video store in the world. Mm. Um, and it's kind of the little bit... Is it documentary? No, it's fiction. It's going to be like a sitcom. It's starring Randall Park, uh, who a lot of people know from Fresh Off the Boat, or he was also in WandaVision and some of the Marvel stuff. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Has a pretty good pedigree. Uh, some of the writers behind uh, uh, comedies like Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Superstore are involved. So oh, it's an sweet. interesting premise. But the, the idea that it's going to be a Netflix production about uh, a, block, a blockbuster video store, you know, I was kind of, it's made me kind of start to think, and there's been a lot of nostalgia for video rental stores. Emily, I know we are uh, a slightly, uh, not maybe of a different generation, but I, you're probably closer to Gen Z than millennial. She is what, Gen Z. What, what is is your relationship with video rental stores just out of curiosity i did go to blockbuster when i was growing up um i think the last time i went to one was like elementary school so i was definitely very young when they became 2004 five in that range i think they totally went out in like nine so i mean anywhere in the zeros so so they were a part of your life but maybe not as formative as as some of us who who were going there i did love going to them though they were very fun Okay, so that's what I want because I started thinking about the whole blockbuster thing. And the other day, I was I was watching some stupid Netflix new release. It was that one with, uh, you know, the, like Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot and The Rock oh, or whatever. Notice. Yeah, I was like, okay, I'm going to watch a movie. I made biggest, it maybe five minutes. Yeah, biggest m- opening movie Netflix has ever done, and okay, it's in but, the theaters too. Like, but here, here's huge the thing: global hit. I made it. I made it five minutes into that movie, and mm-hmm. I was like, "This is lame. I'm not doing this. I, I don't have two hours for this." <laughs> Then I thought, I don't know when the last time I have watched a movie front to back in one sitting. I could be unique. This could be totally anecdotal. But real quick around the board, Karen, when's the last time you've watched a movie front to back in one sitting? Uh, last night, uh, Shang-Chi with my son. See, I made it 10 minutes into oh, that. I'm like, oh, I've seen this. Oh, you didn't you like it? It wasn't I disliked it. It was just like, I got better stuff to do. Derek, do, do, front to back, single sitting movie. Probably last week, bro. I ain't gonna lie. Yeah, I, Derek I likes it. movies, though. Yeah, I like movies. I'm a, I'm a movie I'm a movie fan for sure. Emily, Sunday night. She's Dang. also a movie person. Yeah, I'm a TV a, person. I'm not a movie bro. person. That, that's the yeah. thing. But I, but so maybe this is just isolated me. But I was thinking like I think video rental stores or some sort of like physical place where you go to pick something out and rent with money and bring back to to watch. I could see a case for coming those coming back a lot like we've seen, you know, like vinyl coming back. Like well, there's really no technical need for it. Right. But right. some people kind of like the richness and, and the texture of it or, or like old video games. You know, they're repackaging these little Nintendo bricks and Super Nintendo so you can play old video games, even though we have iPhones that are better than all those old Nintendos. I have a theory. <laughs> That when you would go to Blockbuster back in the day and rent a movie, it took mm-hmm. two things, time and money, right? You had to drive there or whatever. You had to go through, pick out a movie, and you had to pay a couple bucks to rent it. And it, when I was a kid, I never started a movie and stopped it and didn't finish. I do that mm. all the time in the era of streaming. I start more, far more things than I finish. But in the Blockbuster era, anything that rented that I rented that came into my house, I was watching and I think there's some sort of consumer psychology. I, I remember the Freakonomics guys did this study with wine one time where mm. they found that if people thought they were doing like a wine testing and they, if, if the 
person thought that the wine that they were sampling cost more money, they would rate it higher in how much they enjoyed the experience of drinking the wine. Um, even though they could be given the exact same wine and co- say it costs less money and they would say they enjoy it less. There was a correlation between perceived value and enjoyment. My thing is like, I think video stores could make a comeback based on the ideas that when you go, it actually costs you something. It costs you time and a little bit of money to get something. So it makes the experience of watching that movie more enjoyable than just watching something disposable on a streaming network. So that's my Mm -hmm. thing. I'm thinking about opening up a video store where it's all cool movies. And if you rent them, you're going to watch them. Unlike Netflix, where you just turn it on for like 10 minutes and and bail and watch, (laughs) you know, reruns of The Office or, or some Seinfeld or something. Okay, I have a parallel to the music industry. The you know, in like the mid '90s, the uh, law changed and allowed for the consolidation of the radio industry. And basically, now you have one guy programming all rock radio, all pop radio, all over the country. That yeah. radically changed the industry. But right. back to the days pre streaming, you know, when you had to buy albums and you had to, if you were an artist, you had to get signed to a label. And like, you know, you went through a process of refinement through that process. You had people, gatekeepers that were helping the cream rise to the top and an album would come out and it was like a better complete work of art because of the process and investment. And then it went for sale and the money was there to pay for that infrastructure. Right Mm -hmm. now, everybody can just SoundCloud can put out whatever. And it's a bunch of forgettable vaporware. In my opinion, there's the album uh, moment. The album's worth paying for are few and far between because the industry is totally decentralized. And the same thing's happening with the movie industry. Netflix is notoriously hands-off. They'll give you a massive check, hope it works out for the best because they're trying to just do everything. And that that studio system of curation and refinement yeah. and directors paying their dues before they get... And, and it, like things are refined before they come out. And I feel like movies were better because of that industry that has now been completely turned on its head. And I think the music and movie industry, we have just a bunch of okay stuff now. Yeah. Very few amazing works of art anymore. Yeah. Well, anyway. I, I, I would, I would say this, I, I would, I would say this, that it's not that we have very few amazing works of art. It's that it's so much stuff. There's a lot of great art, but it's so much noise to get to the great art you kind of almost, I was talking to a friend about this before, like, and then it's also, what is your idea of great art? Because there's a whole boom back backpack, uh, classic hip hop style movement that most of us probably have very few influence with. It's Southern rap. Like everything is kind of in its own little box and it's not how it used to be where all of our art would just be you know, front and center for everyone because they have such machines behind them. Now you kind of got to find a pocket of stuff that you like and just hope the algorithm will keep spitting better versions of that to you. As opposed to when we were coming up, it was like, yo, the cream of the crop was all here because they had all the money and they had all the resources and stuff. My thing though it's is like opinion. the A and R label process, the A and R process of refining art down to its best self. That's the goal of that process with A and R. Like, I mean, I'm sorry, but would Donda be better if it wasn't 32 tracks? Yeah. If like, if would would Donda be better if it was the best 14? You know, okay. and like. So the counterpoint to that, the I'm counterpoint to yeah, so the counterpoint to that would be would T Pain 
would T-Pain be able to do what he did without you see what I'm saying like there's guys like there's guys like T-Pain that break the mold uh, Drake broke the mold and usually they break the mold without the help of the A&R guys that are at the majors the majors are always late so mm-hmm. like now in the environment we're in we're in so many like what XXX Tentacion Lil Uzi Vert all these different type of artists that you know, young thug who mainstream, you didn't, you'd never have any access to them if we were in the typical model of right. A&R finds yeah. talent and develops that talent. But you get access to all these guys because there isn't any box. Or, but the same you know, thing. My, my point is just that it's a double the, I love, I love, yeah. right. I love that anybody can create and I love that we have access to all that. But at the same time, in the olden days, <laughs> the movie the industry, the music industry helped curate things down. So when it was family blockbuster night, we had a pretty good shot that that featured film that was being promoted heavily was going to be a good movie that we were all going to enjoy. Now I flipped through Netflix. It's a whole bunch of forgettable B level, C level stuff that like, why did y'all yeah. even waste money I, making this? I don't you know? know. We had some pretty bad movies in the 90s. That's true. Up, right? Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> Directed video <laughs> movies big, were a thing. Very I'm not big, forgetting that. Very big budget yeah. trash movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, please, if, if you're coming through my area, uh, I will be uh, creating a shed full of old DVDs that you can come and rent from me. So hit me up. It's off the doubles books. up as the Georgia Institute of Technology. That yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, there I'm renting the space out, renting the space out. So yeah. Before we wrap things, I want to thank David Kinnaman for joining us today. Make sure to head over to relevantmagazine.com to see more of our conversation with him. Also, while you're at the site, uh, make sure to check out our fall digital issue it features conversations with the likes of Andy Minio, Natalie Bergman, Trillia Newbell, and so much more. It's available for free and ad free by our friends at UHSM. Also right there on the front page of relevance website, you can sign up for our daily newsletter. It's just the top five trending stories at relevantmagazine.com sent to you every weekday. It's a great way to stay in touch with what's going on over at relevant. Also, you want to go deeper? Remember, relevantstore.com, all new. Our annual print edition is available for pre-sale there. We have all new lines of merch. We're adding stuff every week. There's podcast stuff, and there are great holiday sales going on now. Make sure to go check out relevantstore.com. Okay, on that note, we'll wrap it. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Emily Brown. I'm Derek Miner. And we will see you on Friday. Have a great week, everyone. for listening to The Relevant Podcast. Check out our features, interviews, and news updates every day at relevantmagazine.com. And make sure to follow Relevant on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest. For more great podcasts, browse the shows on The Relevant Podcast Network, which you can find at our site. And while you're there, don't miss the all-new era of Relevant Magazine. A new issue releases every other month at relevantmagazine.com. Boat won't break 40 knots or everyone dies. And I'm like, well, we're in the middle of the ocean. Relevant Podcast Network. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.